You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. The views and opinions expressed by Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates. Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright, it's the Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, here to tell it like it was and how it is to help school you so no one can fool you, brought to you by the good folks at the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in beautiful Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now, without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield. Good evening to you one and all. I am Professor Charles Porterfield, and hoodoo is my business. Welcome once again to the Now You Know Show. So glad and happy to have you all here with us. Well, what a week, what a week, what a week it has been, my friends. We had a Quite a bit of interesting weather here in Texas, uh, which is the norm for spring in Texas. Spring in Texas, pretty much, you can tell when it's spring in Texas, when all the weird weather starts, you know. I know a lot of you uh, wait for the uh, spring equinox or the first cardinal or the first robin of spring or the first bloom on your perennials, and that's sort of the flower buds on the trees, and you say, ah, spring is here, spring is here. Well, here in Texas, what we do is we go, oh, look, a tornado. Spring is here. Oh, how wonderful. Look, 
a green one. Isn't it beautiful? So we've had some uh, fun weather here, but all are safe and sound. And we've had a lot of things go on in the world this week. All sorts of changes and incidents going on politically, socially, etc., uh, if you're not listening to In the Streets with Beverly Smith here on the LMC radio network each and every Tuesday, you really need to. You, you really need to. You need to. You need to tune in and hear that. And before it, of course, is the Crystal Silence League Hour with the Reverend John St. Germain our good friend in the Crystal Silence League, and you should be listening to that too, if only to give you a little sort of a, a spiritual center before you listen to the stuff that's going on in the world that Beverly Smith brings to you. So before we get into any of that, I want to take a brief moment to send a little word out to my dear friend, Catherine Ironwood, I hope you're feeling better. I hope you're feeling better, Miss Cat, and I'm so glad that everything worked out, and I love you. Love you so much. So, this week, as far as I can tell, a lot of people in this country lost their damn minds. I'm not sure what's going on with that, but I have a theory. I have a theory, and I'm going to put forth this theory right now live on the air, in front of everyone. Maybe, just maybe, you know, like I lived through the Silent Spring. I don't know how many of you know what the Silent Spring is. I know some of you will know what the Silent Spring was, but pal, I was there, okay? And basically the Silent Spring was brought on uh, because of the death of birds and insects, primarily because of the use of DDT and other uh, really, really, harmful pesticides that strongly impacted the environment. And this week, I've been wondering if maybe this is going to be the the roaring summer. Maybe we've just poisoned everything enough, just enough. Not, you know, not like to the point where everybody's falling down dead constantly, but maybe we've poisoned the, the average water table, let's just say, everywhere in this country so that almost all of us are just out of our minds. I mean, just, just that's my only explanation is environmental poisoning. That's, that's all I've got is environmental poisoning. Okay? That's it. That's, there you go. That's Professor Porterfield's two cents worth. I think it's environmental poisoning that's causing people to act so damn goofy. And there's one little goofy thing that I, I kind of want to talk about, and that's this ridiculous bathroom issue that has sprung up in the Carolinas and Mississippi and other places. And trust me, there'll be more. There'll be more. You know, I know there are a lot of you who kind of, not all of you, but some of you, who kind of like to have this kind of thing about the South. You know, like every so often here in Texas, we have certain quote-unquote legislators um, supposed representatives of the people who get together and they bandy around this thing about how Texas is going to secede from the union. And uh, they're assholes. Okay. They're just jackasses. They're, they're ridiculous by doing it. It's sort of a, it's sort of an annual event. Okay. Kind of perennial idiots who do this. 
And whenever it happens, most of us in Texas just go, oh, they're doing that again. And we go on with our lives. And inevitably what I see is in social media and in the news and on, you know, uh, electronic media and other places like that, I see a lot of people going, well, don't let the door hit you on the ass. Oh, my God, I wish that goddamn state would go. Goodbye. Man, it'd be the best thing ever. Goddamn Texas, goddamn Texas, goddamn Texas. You all forget that there are a whole lot of people living here, man. I mean, do you honestly think this was like a straw poll or some sort of shit? Like they went around and knocked on all the doors, say, around 9 a.m. one day and said, excuse me, sir, uh, we're thinking about having the state of Texas try to uh, leave the union. And we were just wanting to, ma'am, would you uh, cast your ballot? Now, now a, a black marble means you don't want us to leave the union and a white marble. No, there's just a small, tiny handful of idiots who, by hook or crook, have gotten themselves into phony baloney jobs in politics who do this, okay? This is not the people. This is – so when you're saying all that stuff about, you know, goodbye, Texas, you know, eh, don't let the door hit you on the end. We're glad to have you gone. What, what I'm hearing is, screw you, man. You've got bad public officials, and therefore you deserve to suffer. How the hell does that work? Is that is that our response? Is that what we're supposed to do? Like, you know, oh, there's this horrible water crisis in 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 Michigan going on, primarily around Flint, Michigan, Detroit, etc. You know, and is that our attitude? We're supposed to go, oh, well, you know, those people who are elected officials who fucking the, you know, governor of the state, whatever. So fuck Michigan. I hope all those people just die of poisoning. See, here's the thing: you're forgetting that it's we the people. You're forgetting that we are not always in control of the actions of this handful of assholes, okay? And in particular, what y'all, some of y'all like to do is make it a southern problem. Oh, those southern states. Really? Because Missouri is obviously a southern state now. Missouri is obviously, yeah, Missouri, yeah, yeah, because it has no racial problems, you know. I mean... Idaho. Idaho is just, you know, that's paradise, right? No. See, again, you're blaming the people, or at least you're just sort of discarding a recognition of the people who are there. Well, why don't they just move? You don't like it. Move. Someone in a very nice way, a very nice person, said to me, oh, about two weeks ago, uh, that they found it hard to believe, reading the posts that I post and the things that I say, that I was, quote, still in the state of Texas. Well, what, what, what did you think I was going to do? Did you think I'm supposed to, like, pick up everything and leave? California can only hold so many of us, folks, okay? You know what I'm saying? There, there's a limited amount of room, all right? Water crisis there already. Where are we all supposed to go? And isn't that a kind of, you know, vast assumption based out of privilege on, on your part, when, when you happen to be one of the people that say something like that, you know, why don't you just move? Well, well, obviously, I've got all the money in the world, so, you know, I'll just move. I'll just move wherever. And obviously, all of us have all the money in the world, and so we'll just move, right? No, we don't. So to come back around on that, we've got this bathroom issue, this bathroom issue, which is the biggest phony baloney 
political season nonsense I have seen in almost a generation. I mean, it is. It's wow. Okay. We're going to have this big to-do about uh, transsexual, transgendered individuals in bathrooms. Because we've got to protect the children. Won't someone think about the children? Well, here's what I want you to do this week. This is my encouragement to you. This isn't a part of the, you know, the kid's not in here right now, so he can't say, what does God do with hoodoo? So here's what, here's what I would like you to do this week. I would like you to go and look at this legislation, wherever it has been passed, because it's being passed in more and more states, and I guarantee you it'll be passed in at least a couple of more. And I want you to look at who framed it. Who are the people that came up with it? Who voted for it? Who signed it into legislature? Okay. Who's backing it? Who's behind it? And then I want you to check their record on issues like child abuse. The laws of their state are about child rape, sexual offenders against children. And I think what you're going to find is these things don't match up. See, this isn't about protecting children, which we need more of, by the way. We, we need a lot more of, in my opinion. In my opinion, we need a lot more protection for children in this country about every issue, about the environment, about sexual predators, about having a future, about education, I mean, across the goddamn board. But these people aren't doing this for kids. These people are doing this because they need a no enemy. They need a distraction. They need you or whoever to be wound up about something. So now the issue we're going to be wound up about is about the genitalia underneath clothing of people in restrooms. First of all, how the hell are you going to check? We've already got police pulling people out of bathrooms and keeping people from going into bathrooms in some of these states because they didn't think they looked quite masculine enough or feminine enough. Okay, So in other words, the state is going to determine gender, but not by you know some, some other – no, by, by social presentation of gender. Okay, And that not only is ridiculous and a shocking – absolutely shocking kick in the teeth of our rights as citizens, but it's also terrifying because it's the state now being put in charge of making determinations like that. This is this is way back. This goes way back. And before we go over the news, I'm going to say this last thing. I am a child of the uh, – let me rephrase this. I kind of started that. It was going to sound weird. I am a child of the children of the 60s, meaning I am a child of the flower children. I am the child of an old hippie. I am a child of the people and of individuals who were in that struggle and in that time. And I often hear a charge from members of my generation, but, but certainly members of the generation after me, that say things let go like this. Oh, the hippies sold us out. Oh, the freedom fighter. Oh, the flower children. Oh, all these people, they just were bullshit. They didn't mean what they were saying. Oh, what'd they do for us? It was all a flash in the pan. It was all bullshit. They didn't do anything for us. They betrayed us, blah, 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 blah. 
those liars, those hypocrites, etc. Let me give you a real quick history lesson, boys and girls. The rights that you enjoy today – see, this is like the interstate freeway system. Everyone in America thinks that the interstate freeway system is a given. That's just the way a freeway system is. There are on-ramps and off-ramps, overpasses and underpasses, multiple lanes, shoulders, passing lanes, etc. That's just the way it is. It's always been that way. You'd be foolish to have it be any other way. No, it's not. Okay, that didn't start to even exist until around 1953 under the Eisenhower freaking administration, okay? And it was actually based off of part of the designs of the German Audubon. Before that, we didn't have that shit, okay? We often had two-lane, if, if at all, interstate freeway systems in many, many places. All this elaborate highway system that you have now didn't exist. And you take it for granted because you use it every goddamn day. And because you have it every goddamn day, and you've had it every goddamn day ever since you started driving, you think it's normal. And it's not. And you have certain rights and privileges in this society, and you enjoy certain freedoms in this society as a norm of how we are and how we conduct ourselves that you think are a given, and it's not. Okay, they who came before us, my parents, okay, and my parents' generation won that for you. Okay, you can go into a library and check out almost any book you want and not start a big rigmarole. That wasn't the way it was. You can wear the kind of clothes you want and not start a big rigmarole. That's not the way it was. Okay, you can have hairstyles and tattoos and weird things that make the bottom of your ear have a big hole in it and not start a big rigmarole, and that's not the way it was. Okay, let me tell you the way it was in this country not too long ago. Not too long ago in the United States of America, if you were acting in a way that your neighbors thought was unusual or strange, that you know, sort of meant to them that you were crazy because you weren't like everyone else, the man in the gray flannel suit. You weren't just, you know, Warden June Cleaver. They could call the police, and the police could come and pick you up and take you before a judge. And a judge, a judge would make a decision about whether you needed to be mentally incarcerated whether you needed to be taken someplace and looked at to see if you were crazy and whether that was two weeks, six weeks, or six months, off you would go. That judge didn't have a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a counselor, anybody like that come in and talk to you. No, the judge alone determined based on your behavior and the report from the police and the statements from your neighbors. And off you went. Okay? Off you went to an asylum to be locked up because you were different. You might think I'm making that up. Check into it. I'm not. That's, that's the way it was. Okay? That's not the way it is now. In fact, homosexuality and lesbianism was a mental disorder. And you could have your rights taken away from you. And you could be put into, again, an asylum based on it. So when you look me in the face and you say, oh, this generation did nothing for us, you're wrong. They did something for us. And 
the change that they made in society was so huge, was so great, was so shocking that you're not even aware of it anymore because you take it for granted because it's there every day. Every day, every day, it was the way it was, and now it's not. And that was a kick in the teeth of the establishment, of the right, and what has become the far right, and what has become the religious right, and they want it back, baby. They want it back. And this bathroom nonsense is one small example of it. One small example of it. When you have cops determining that people who go into bathrooms are not, quote, feminine enough looking or masculine enough looking, okay, this is part of that. This is part of that return to that, where we're the little perfect society, some sort of Ursula K. Le Guin nightmare, okay? Read her wrinkle in time, you'll know what I'm talking about, all right? Where we are all in unison, we're all lockstep. So again, I think it might be uh, environmental poisoning. I think it might just be environmental poisoning. Just there you, check it out. I don't know. Maybe. And, and one last thing. Can I ask you all who are helping with this, who are allies, who are trying to make sure this shit doesn't go on, can I ask you one favor? Can you stop p- putting up pictures on social media of extremely masculine-looking trans men and saying – under so and so law, that he, the, uh, Bob would be forced to use the female bathroom, the woman's restroom. Do you really want him in there? Because when you play it that way, you're playing into their hands. You're playing into their hands. You're suggesting, you're helping the idea of toxic masculinity and big scary men. Can you stop doing that? And can you stop doing the converse with pictures of trans women? who are incredibly feminine. I said, you want her in the man? Because see, you're, you're, you're playing into their game. Don't play into their game. Don't play into their game. That's all I had to say about that. Sounds like pontification. I apologize. Well, anyway, that's what I wanted to say before the show. Technically we're in the show. And now we're going to go over to the LMC newsroom where our own Wink Winkerson is back with us this week. Take it away, Wink. Good evening. Today is Thursday, April 28th, the 119th day of 2016. There are 53 days until summer begins and 247 days left in the year. Tomorrow will be an auspicious day to cut hair to slow growth, mow to slow growth, castrate farm animals, dig post holes, harvest, wean, quit smoking, potty train jar jams and jellies, wash wooden floors, paint, start a diet to lose weight, host a party, or kill plant pests. The 29th through the 30th will be excellent days to kill weeds, briars, poison ivy, and other plant pests. The 29th through the 30th will also be good days for morning fishing. Today's highlight in history comes to us from this date in 1967, when heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali refused to be inducted into the Army. On that same day, U.S. Army General William Westmoreland told Congress the U.S. would, quote, would prevail in Vietnam, end quote. Also on this date, 
in 1758, the fifth President of the United States, James Monroe, was born in Westmoreland County, Virginia. In 1788, Maryland became the seventh state to ratify the Constitution of the United States. In 1789, there was a mutiny aboard the HMS Bounty as rebelling crew members of the British ship led by Fletcher Christian set the captain, William Bly, and 18 others adrift in a launch in the South Pacific. Bly and most of the men with him reached Timor in 47 days. In 1817, the United States and Britain signed the Rush-Bagot Treaty, which limited the number of naval vessels allowed in the Great Lakes. In 1918, Givarillo Princi, the assassin of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria and the Archduke's wife Sophia, died in prison of tuberculosis. In 1925, the International Exposition of Modern Industrial and Decorative Arts, which gave rise to the term Art Deco, began a six-month run in Paris. In 1945, Italian dictator Benito Mussolini was executed by Italian partisans as he attempted to flee the country. In 1952, war with Japan officially ended as a treaty signed in San Francisco the year before took effect. General Dwight D. Eisenhower resigned as Supreme Allied Commander in Europe and was succeeded by General Matthew P. Ridgway. In 1974, a federal jury in New York acquitted former Attorney General John Mitchell and former Commerce Secretary Maurice H. Stans of charges in connection with a secret $200,000 contribution to President Richard M. Nixon's re-election campaign from financier Robert Vesco. And finally, in 2001, a Russian rocket lifted off from Central Asia bearing the first space tourists, California businessman Dennis Tito and two cosmonauts on a journey to the International Space Station. Today's LMC birthday greetings go out to actor Frank Vincent, who is 79. Actress-singer Anne Margaret is 75. Jay Leno is 66. Rock musician Chuck Lavelle is 64. Actress Mary McDonald, 63. Rapper Too Short is 50. Actress Penelope Cruz is 42. And actress Jessica Alba, 35. Our thought for the day comes from Bernard Malamud, American author born this 1914, died 1986, who said, We have two lives, the one we learn with and the life with after that. This has been the news from the LMC radio newsroom, read by Wink Winkerson. And now we turn you over to Professor Porterfield and the Lucky Numbers. Lucky number, oh, dreaming of lucky numbers, hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers only show for you and me. Superstition, or even make me suspicious. Table with thirteen dishes, it will make me. That's mommy, yeah? Yeah, man. Well, okay. Put my trunk in group of dust. Cause you know some days may bring you a devil. 
be a lucky 11. Thank you, Jesus. Lucky number for me. Yeah. Oh, yes, and you need not just trust in Goofer Dust like the Nicholas Brothers because we have the lucky numbers for you here each and every week. And as always, this week's lucky numbers come to us from ProfessorPorterfield.com. Why not step on over there and take a look? And they are 15, 19, 35, 52, 55, and 60. Once again, those numbers are 15, 19, 35, 52, 55, and 60. This week's lucky three-digit numbers are 372. That's 372. 444. That's 444. And 689. That's 689. And I must tell you that this week, 444 and 689 are both very hot. So be on the lookout for them. The card of the week is the Four of Hearts, the marriage bed, romantic love, sex, and tenderness, fidelity, and the home. This is a week filled with love, gentleness, self-care, and the home. Take some time this week to put your home in order and spend time with those special to you. This is a very favorable week to rekindle dwindling romance in a relationship, as well as a good time to, quote, pop the question, unquote. Remember, our week runs Thursday to Thursday on the Now You Know Show, so check in with us each and every week to get the numbers and cards when they first come out. And if you hit... Remember where you get. <laughs> Till then, good luck to you all. Up next, our own Miss Loretta Evans with Cooking with Miss Loretta. <laughs> Salami, Tommy, give with the gravy, Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Try a tomato plate, too. Here's cacciatore, Dory. Taste the bologna, Tony. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Hi, y'all. This is Miss Loretta Evans. I'm so happy to be with you again this week. And tonight, I'm going to give you one of my favorite recipes, and one that is sure to be a favorite of yours, if you are a big fan of garlic. This is the recipe for 40 clove chicken. To make 40 clove chicken, you will need the following ingredients. One broiler or fryer chicken cut into pieces. If you don't want to cut your own chicken into pieces, then you can go ahead and buy pre-cut up pieces. One and a half cup of coconut oil and also 
two tablespoons of coconut oil. Ten sprigs of fresh thyme. Forty cloves. That's right. Forty cloves of peeled garlic. A little salt and a little fresh ground black pepper. To make this, first you will preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Now, while that's heating up, season your chicken with your salt and your fresh cracked ground pepper. Then toss that with two tablespoons of coconut oil and brown it on both sides in a wide oven-safe frying pan or oven-safe skillet. I like to use my cast iron skillet over high heat. Once it's brown, remove from the heat. If the oven, if you have used an oven-safe pan for this, you will then add the remaining coconut oil, that's one half cup, your sprigs of thyme, and your 40 cloves of peeled garlic. Once that's all done, you deglaze the skillet if you're using a separate dish and add it to your baking pan or just use the pan as is if you're going to be putting your skillet into the oven. And I just put my cast iron skillet right in the oven. Cover this and bake it for approximately one and a half hours. At that time, you can take the cover off and let it cook for just a few minutes without the cover on if you want. I don't like to do that. I just cover it, cook it for an hour and a half, and take it out as is. Remove the chicken for five to ten minutes, and there you go. There's your 40-clove chicken. It's a favorite in my family. I've always enjoyed it. My kids have enjoyed it, and it goes so well with so many different sides. I hope that you will take a try and make it yourself, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I and my family do. So that's Miss Loretta Evans with Miss Cooking with Miss Loretta. I got all tongue-tied. And now we send you over to Professor Porterfield and the pontification. Bye-bye. Hi, thank you, Miss Loretta. That's a great recipe and is actually a favorite in um, our house as well. And uh, But I got to say, if, if you don't like garlic, don't be making that. That's There's a lot of garlic in it. Oh, boy, there's a lot of garlic. Up next, the professor's pontification. This week, we're going to be talking about money, honey. Get money from you to tickle your whim or blow up your mind. Then I give money to you and you pay me back in kind. Back in time. 
No winner on the name it and claim it uh, for our first song of the evening, although I must compliment our own chief engineer here at the LMC Radio Network, Troll Talhead, who suggested that it might have been Donovan. It's not Donovan, but I kind of see where you were going with that. That was, a, that was an interesting guess. That wasn't too far off the mark. That was, in fact, the Loving Spoonful. That's right, folks. The Loving Spoonful with money. And we're going to be talking about money tonight in the pontification. Let me talk real quick. Let me just state something here at the beginning of the pontification so there's no confusion about it as we go on. There is no virtue in poverty, nor is there any virtue in being rich. Okay? People are not better or worse people because they have or do not have money. People are not particularly blessed because they have more money or less money. Oh, it's good to have money. I mean, you need money, right? And certainly money can be a blessing when there is a need, and certainly money aids in doing certain things in life. But don't let anybody sell you some sort of hogwash about how only those who have money are blessed and those who do not have money are somehow cursed by some sort of other power. You know, God hasn't blessed them because they don't have means. Really? Huh. And yet, according to the book, the poor shall always be with us. So uh, figure that one out. I just wanted to say that at the beginning because sometimes when you talk about money, people think you're saying something else. And it's not my place, nor it is my job, nor it is my intention to get in here and suggest to you that those who have money are better than those who don't have, or those who don't have are better than those who do have. Money can be surprisingly problematic. Duh. And let me say this. Some of y'all are wandering around all the time saying that money is the root of all evil. You know what? Here's the thing. Do me a favor. If you're going to quote something, quote it correctly or don't quote it. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. Okay? The love of money is the root of all evil. Great minds think alike. Yes, yes, it's great minds think alike, but fools seldom differ. 
Okay. The proof's in the pudding. No. Uh, the proof is in the, the proof is in the tasting of the pudding. Okay. Please quote correctly. Quote 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 responsibly. There's a library as well as an internet near you willing to help you. Uh, get your quotes correct. You can pick up a copy of Bartlett's and it'll help you as well. The love of money. People lose their minds about money. Okay? People lose their minds about money. And the, I don't, the kid's not here this week. I don't even know where he is. I haven't seen him in the halls. He's not in the room with me. But if the kid were here, he'd be saying right now, what well, yeah, yeah, he is. And what it has to do with hoodoo is this. I want to talk to you a little bit about the play, the interaction, the the consequences, the ups, the downs of money in this work that we do. Money hmm let me tell you an old quote. Wanna see a man act funny? Give him lots of money. Money sometimes gets in the way of the actual work that we are attempting to do. And the opposite holds true as well. We have people who come from outside traditions. That doesn't mean they're bad traditions. It just means they're outside traditions who bring with them certain philosophies about money that are not a part of our tradition. And one of those attitudes is that one should not receive money for spiritual work. I have done a somewhat careful study of that attitude, and here's what I have found. I have found that in general, that attitude comes out of traditions where those who are doing the for lack of a better term, magical slash spiritual work are regarded as a priest or priestess class. And it comes out of a European, mid-European and English base. We don't see that other places. We don't see that in other uh, traditions. And certainly that is not true in hoodoo conjure and root work. In hoodoo, in conjure, in root work, what we see is absolutely an exchange of, quote, money for spiritual, magical work. Why did I say, quote, money? Because it wasn't always bills and coins. Sometimes it was material goods that were worth money, whether they be, you know, uh, farm animals, uh, uh Farm byproducts, milk, butter, uh, harvested goods, sugar, wheat, uh, cons, uh, what have you, fish, you know, whatever, because that was money, okay? You may not have had a dime or a dollar, but you could bring fresh milk. You could bring uh, sausage. You could bring quail you could bring whatever to the root worker and the root worker had just as much need of it as you do you know people got to eat people need to stay alive and so rather than giving someone a penny a dime a dollar 
50 bucks. So then they would go to somebody else and buy milk, butter, chickens, or whatever. You're kind of taking out the middleman, as it were. Uh, the phrase here that Troll Talhead has just used in the chat room, and quite correctly, is a transactional culture. This is the idea that the spiritual work, the magical work of the worker has value, that it is worth something, that it is real, that it exists, and therefore it is paid for. The same way you pay a carpenter, a plumber, a painter, somebody who mows your yard, uh, a car mechanic, anyone. The first thing I will say about that is that part of the basis of that part part of the basis of that is that hoodoo root work and conjure does exist as a materia magica okay it is a material magic so in other words you're not necessarily paying someone to do a ritual that you don't see that involves movement and sound alone someplace else that you're not present you're not necessarily paying someone to quote unquote pray you're paying someone to receive something that has magical worth, a mojo bag, a bath, a tea, candles that have been blessed and dressed, etc., etc., roots, you name it, okay, that you wouldn't necessarily know how to use or prepare or put together formulaically, and they have done that. So this is not much different than visiting a pharmacist in the early days of this country pharmacist compounded the drugs they didn't exist before they weren't in a you know pill shape in a bottle the pharmacist put them together and often would even use a pill press to make the pills and then sold you the medicine that you needed because you came and i said this i need this specific medicine that's the way it used to work so because of this money is very much a part of hoodoo conjure and root work and that is a good thing and that is a bad thing it's a good thing because it shows you that the hoodooist the conjurer the root doctor is a part of their community they're a necessary part of their culture of their group of their community of their town etc again like the pharmacist the dairyman uh the butcher the baker etc and they're providing something, and they're being paid for it. And it has aided communities because in some cases, those root workers, those conjure doctors, those hoodooists, have gained enough clout and material well-being to pass it on to their community. We have a great history of conjure doctors employing others who may not have been able to be employed and because of economic hardships at the time, of conjure doctors who have helped contribute to the building of, I kid you not, churches, hospitals, etc., meaning the money comes back into the community because in its perfection, the conjure doctor, the hoodooist, is supposed to be a part of their community not an isolated factor. It's also brought a lot of troubles. Those troubles have grown 
as time has gone on. One of the things that has caused those troubles to go on is as the conjure doctor, as the hoodooist, ceases to be a part of their community, or a community, I should say, and becomes a more isolated figure, or must go further afield to engage clients, to be able to make money, to be able to stay alive as an individual in the society, the money doesn't always flow back into the community. It gets isolated off over here. That's problematic. The other reason it's become a problem is because it's set up a competition about money. And so suddenly what we have started to have happen is we have a thing now where the success, or I should say the potency, the ability, the worthiness of the magical practitioner is measured by their material success. And this is a very dangerous path to go down. And I'll tell you why. As the old man, as my grandfather used to say to me, it's not hard to make money if all you want to do is make money. See, there are certain people that are really good with money. They're really good with money. They know how to make money. They know how to invest money. They know how to make money make money. That doesn't mean that they're a good conjure doctor. That doesn't mean that they're a good hoodooist. That doesn't mean that they are an excellent root doctor. It means they're good with money. You give them five bucks, they can turn into ten bucks. They can turn the ten bucks into twenty. They can turn the twenty into a hundred. They can turn the hundred into a thousand. And when you start viewing the worthiness, okay, the potency, the knowledge of the magical practitioner based on their accumulation, their acquisition, and their exhibition. <clears throat> Very important last word there. Their exhibition of material success, that's what you're that's the ruler that you're using. That's the metric. You're saying material success and obvious material success. Literally obvious material I can meet you and know that you're doing well. You drive a fancy car. You have super nice clothes. You have a super nice house. You eat in fancy restaurants. You wear all this gold and silver around your necks, on your fingers, in your ears. You have things I don't have. You live a lifestyle that I live. Therefore, you are the worthy individual. All your judging is there accumulation, acquisition, and display of money. That's it. That's it. Okay? And that means that you've fallen into that little trap we talked about at the beginning of the show. You're saying that those who have more money are more blessed. Those that have more money are better. Those that have more money are more worthy, more intelligent. <coughs> more knowledgeable, and that's just not true. Because if all you want to do is make money, that's all you give a shit about, is just making money and fuck everything else. Fuck ethics, fuck morals, fuck family, society, fuck nature, fuck it all. You can make money, but it doesn't make you 
a good anything else. It makes you a good money maker. So we have that problem. And we have that problem in our community of hoodoo, root work, and conjure. You don't see this problem in certain other spiritual communities because they have a tradition of not accumulating money or not receiving money for their work. And what happens is it starts to set up a system, a we-them system, okay, us-them, where you have certain people that are, you know, worthy because they have money and you have other people that aren't worthy. There are workers right now out there in the world who, because of choices that they've made, and it's not my place to question their choices, but I am going to state a fact, cannot do work for regular folks. They can't do work for regular folks because they are cost prohibitive. Regular, average, normal people cannot afford to go to that spiritual worker. They don't have the money. Or it becomes a very large life event for them to attain or acquire the money to go to that spiritual worker. All right? And that's no different than, you know, all of us who have, who are parents or have been parents had to all live through, you know, back-to-school clothes buying, uh, school supplies, dental care, medical costs for the children. We all know about those life events where suddenly you have to have this little pile of money that you didn't have before, and you have to save for it and think it, and now you know it's coming. And when it's school, at least you got a date. It doesn't help sometimes, but at least you know, oh, I've got to have that money by, which can also cause a lot of anxiety and frustration. But we have spiritual workers who have removed themselves from granting service to average people because of their costs. Now, before anyone thinks I'm on some high horse about that, let me go back to this. The spiritual worker, the hoodooist, the conjure doctor, the root doctor, deserves to get paid. They've got bills too. They have kids. Their kids need school clothes, school supplies, dentists, all that shit too. They've got to keep a roof over their head as well. You can make the mistake of going too far the opposite direction, <clears throat> where essentially you're giving away your work, you're making nothing, and you're starving. Okay? So there's a balance here. There's no there's no glory in either. Okay? But when we reach a point where we start to cross a line that average workers, I don't mean average in power, I mean general, the, the larger base of, if you count them all up, the average is, cannot be afforded by people who are working class or impoverished, as the poverty level raises, as the quote-unquote middle class disappears, that it's pretty much already gone, as the elites who have already engaged in the, act, the accumulation of money rather than the accumulation of anything else continues, what are you going to do? <coughs> what are you going to do? You are certainly no longer a member of the community because you're outpriced, you're outclassed, okay? And because of what you're doing, people will naturally go to what they have as immediate needs before they come to you regardless of belief. I'm going to say something right now. 
anyone within the sound of my voice who's listening to me now or will listen to me in the future in the archives, if you have to make a choice between putting food between putting food in your pantry and paying a magical worker, go buy the goddamn food. I can't believe you just said that, Professor Porterfield. My God, you're a magical worker. Don't you believe in what you do? Don't you believe that it's true? Of course I do. If I didn't believe, I wouldn't be doing it. That would make me a con artist. Then why did you say that? I can't believe you just said that. But I did say it, and I'll say it again. If you have to choose between putting food in your pantry and, and engaging the services of a magical practitioner of any stripe, of any, of any culture, of any tradition, put food in the goddamn pantry first. Okay? Don't ever do the opposite. What are you going to do? Are you going to sit down at the kitchen table? Are you going to sit down at the table with your kids and your bowls of hot water that you've added ketchup to to call tomato soup and say, well, kids, uh, you know, sorry, uh, I had to have some, uh, you know, whatever work done. I had to have yeah, mojo back. I had to have a cleansing. Uh, you know, really? And we have a setup. We have this terrible setup that goes on. See, once upon a time, people, primarily African-American, primarily Southerners, but not exclusively, but not exclusively, who engage the services of professional conjure doctors, root doctors, hoodooists, etc., for whatever, also knew work themselves. It wasn't big work. It wasn't complex work, but they knew how to take a spiritual bath. They knew simple little formula. They knew this. They knew that because they had gone to doctors before, conjure doctors before, because they had friends who had gone to conjure doctors before. And so you didn't have to buy everything. See, you went to the conjure doctor for specialty work, for skills and abilities that you didn't have, to get readings because you didn't necessarily have the gift, to bring omens and signs to to be interpreted because you didn't necessarily have the gift, to create things that you needed a certain degree of potency in, to acquire things that you couldn't have access to or didn't have access to, didn't know how to gather yourself. But you knew how to do certain little things for yourself. What we've done now is we have a system where knowledge – becomes money. Knowledge is money. Therefore, we have people that are absolutely proprietary. We've talked about this on the show before. Everything is a secret. They don't talk to you about anything. They don't have you do anything. It all happens behind the curtain. It's all the Wizard of Oz here because they can't let you see anything because if you knew something, then you would have knowledge and that would take money out of their pockets. And so money has started to become king. Let me stop once again. Let me stop once again and say this in case anyone has some confusion about this. There's no sin in making money. There is no sin in having your own. There's no sin in being able to pay your bills. There's no sin in being able to put food in your pantry. There's no sin in being able to keep a roof over your head. And root doctors got to do that too. Okay? So I'm not saying don't make money. I'm saying you might want to stop and think about some of these things. When money becomes the goal, the absolute end goal, 
meaning what is important here is the money. What's important is the money. Not money is important, and money is an important part of the calculation, okay? But it is the important thing. It is the thing. What's important here is to get the cash, okay? When that happens, we lose a certain spirit of accomplishment. We lose a certain spirit of accomplishment. We lose a certain spirit of craftsmanship. We lose a certain spirit of integrity. We lose a certain humanity, and we lose a certain spirit, passion, empathy, understanding, and we lose a certain greatness in our work because what we're concerned with is the end dollar. Now, again, just in case anybody's confusing what I'm saying, I didn't say that when you think about money, that happens. I said when money becomes the thing. That's all that's important. All that's important is the end dollar amount. That's it. That's it. All that fucking matters is the end dollar amount. That's when things go awry. Because when you have a situation like that, let me give you an example. I write books. So far, I've written three. Two on my own. I wrote another with my very good friend, Miss McHale. And I like to think that they're pretty good books. Okay? And the books get published, and the books get sold, and the books make money. They have to. They have to because there has to be money to publish books, to print books, to drive printing machines, to cost of paper, the cost of covers, the cost of shipping, the cost of advertising. These are all realities. Okay? But if all that mattered was money, I wouldn't give a damn about what went in the book. What I would give a damn about is whether you bought the book or not. See, I wouldn't care if the book looked good. I wouldn't care if the book read well. I wouldn't care if the book was informative. I wouldn't care. And my publisher and my editor would not care if the pages were formatted correctly, if the spelling was correct if there was ease of readability, if things looked good on the page to the eye so that you wanted to continue to read the next page and the next page and the next page, my publisher and my editor wouldn't care about that. And let me tell you something. My publisher and my editor cares about that. Don't ever, ever doubt that, okay? Don't ever doubt that. My publisher absolutely cares about that. My editor stays up until ridiculous hours in the morning making sure that shit happens. Why? Because money's not the only idea here. It, it, but we see that. There are 1,800 different books, quote-unquote, on hoodoo and conjure out there that are unreadable. I mean, man, they're unreadable. I'm not telling you the stuff in them is bad. I'm telling you I don't know how to read it, <clears throat> okay? Like, it's just fucked, Okay? Paragraph A doesn't follow paragraph B. Sentence C starts someplace telling you something and then never finishes. It's misspelled. There's big gaps on the page. It's just you look, you flip through the book and you realize half the book is blank paper. You know, you, you, because what was important was money, not the information contained in the book. That's one example. 
You could say the same thing of a conjure oil, a candle, a mojo bag, a ritual, a piece of work, anything that could be done. When money's all that's important, then there's no spirit of accomplishment. There's no spirit of excellence. There's only a spirit of acquiring. There's only a spirit of accumulating, to gather, to take in, and in this case, money. As this goes on and gets worse, what we end up with is a system of too many people doing too little work for too much money. Okay? Let me say that again. Too many people doing too little work for too much money. We need money. We've got to stay alive. Okay? Bills to pay, roofs to cover, children to feed, our own bellies to put food into. But when money is all that matters, then money is all that matters. Now I'm going to get into a really, uh, I'm just going to just, you know, here's the problem. Uh, in the pontifications, I'm just sort of walking and talking, and you're just sort of walking along with me listening to the, you know, whatever the hell's coming out of my mouth. And sometimes I lead you right into briar patches. Okay? And here we go. At least I'm telling you this time. We're off to go to the briar patch. Here we go. We're going into the thorns. Here's the other issue that happens in our community of conjure and root work and hoodoo sometimes about money. There is a certain privilege about money in this country we live in right now. Don't doubt me. Go and check it out. All you got to do is go and check it out. Check out who gets bank loans and who don't, even if they have the same amount of collateral, even if they have the same credit ratings. Check it out. Go check it out. Go see about how many banks that have been indicted on this, how much rigmarole springs up about this. Go check it out. The fact of the matter is hoodoo comes from African-American people. It is a part of the African-American community. It is a part of the African-American experience. It is a part of the African-American culture. There are no two ways about that. I know some of you don't like me saying that. It gets you ruffled under the feathers. I don't know why rain falls out of the sky. I can sit here and say rain falls out of the sky, and you don't have a problem with that. But I say this, and you are right. Well, well, actually, yeah, yeah, well, actually. And so when it is a gamed system, when it is harder in the system for people of color, as it's not just about black folks, when it's harder for people of color to make, to have, and to hold on to money, because nothing's more expensive than poverty. Oh, yeah, man, I know that one. That's a, that's 100% fucking true. And, and you're hearing it from the horse's mouth. I've been there. There is nothing more expensive than poverty. And when that is true in a system primarily for people of color, and you have a spiritual system, a spiritual work, a magical system that belongs to that community and that culture. And then you have people who it's not as much of a problem for, who are not people of color, 
coming in and doing that system and making lots of money and charging big, 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 big prices. <clears throat> I'm not talking about regular prices. Listen, shit's expensive everywhere. Okay. I mean, you can go down to Target, Walmart, Kmart, the grocery store, anywhere, anywhere, and see how expensive prices are. I'm talking about big prices, prices above and beyond the cost of what it takes to make, and you obviously have to have profits so that you can continue to make more and pay your bills. When it's much bigger than that, you got a problem. You got a serious problem. Because what's happening is that the community – I'm making no friends right now. The community that this comes out of becomes economically isolated. Becomes economically isolated. Okay? It becomes economically isolated. And then that falls back over into the work itself. You have more and more people who are doing – Little and little, little work for more and more money. Let's have the quote again. Too many people doing too little work for too much money. Say it with me. Too many people doing too little work for too much money. And because of what we've already talked about, where nowadays the conjure doctor, the root worker, the hoodooist has to go further and further afield, to find clients, and that's not coming back into the community or a community, you have a limitation on that money, which makes it an accumulation of wealth rather than something that goes back into the community. Again, not without service to the person who made it to begin with. These people should be able to afford their homes, their stores, their clothes, their food, and shoes for their children, have a car that works. We all want that. We all need that. Okay? The hoodooist isn't here to be some whipping boy tied to the post to merely do work for you that you gather up out of their skin and then take your merry way and they get nothing back. But when the system gets skewed, then we got a problem. And it's at every level. It affects the work. It affects the quality of the product. It affects the interaction between the individuals. It affects the knowledge base. The whole nine yards. I've talked about this and talked about this and talked about this. I'll probably keep talking about it, and I make no friends every time I talk about it. Every time I talk about this. Here's the thing. Last week I read all these letters. And, you know, because I've acquired all these letters over a year or so, and I wanted to read these letters, and people had been nice enough to send them in, and so I answered them on things. And a lot of people said, wow, those letters were really eye-opening, or I didn't think people would say that, or whatever, 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 whatever. Man, I get more flack about this conversation than I get about race. I get more flack about this conversation than if I were to sit here and talk for 40 minutes about anti-Semitism in America. I get more flack about this, this issue, that I dare bring it up. People tell me I'm throwing a wrench in the works. People tell me I'm screwing stuff up. People tell me I'm doing bad. And I'm, I don't think I am. <clears throat> I don't think I am because I'm always saying everybody deserves to make their money. Everybody deserves to have enough. Everybody deserves to have what they need. <coughs> I'm trying to talk about a different way of looking at this. This isn't some sort of, you know, uh, uh, I'm not here trying to do, uh, oh, I don't know, 
communist hoodoo, the people's mojo bag, the people's conjure oil. I'm not doing that. Okay. Do I think capitalism is a great system and it's oh so wonderful and it'll always work out? No, I don't think that either. But that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. What we're talking about is an insidious system that takes on a life of its own, that destroys culture, that destroys knowledge, that destroys excellence, that destroys accomplishment. Okay? And ends up merely geared towards the accumulation of accumulation of money. This is where I'm going to say some things, and I hope you don't think I'm tooting my own horn because I'm not. I'm trying to make a point. I have gotten in trouble because of how I teach. I've gotten in a lot of trouble of it. I mean, I've had a lot of people who really are kind of like <laughs> about it because I go out and people ask me and I just tell them, you know, sometimes sometimes people buy a little bit of my time and I teach them. Sometimes I go someplace and I'm paid to go there and teach, but often I just tell people. And people say, you're giving away the secrets. They're not saying you're teaching children to play with matches. They're not saying you're offending the spirits. They're not saying you are acting against the will of God. They're not saying what you just said is wrong. They're saying you're giving away the secrets. I want to examine that with you for a moment, if I may. I hope you will indulge me. The secrets. I see. Well, when did they become secrets? And whose secrets are they? And by what agreement were they made secrets? I didn't take any oath. Once again, hoodoo is a non-initiatory tradition. Okay? No one ever tied my hands behind my back and held a knife at my throat and had me make an oath. Okay? In the name of anybody that built anything. In the name of any god or goddess in the name of any clandestine organization. That never happened. I wasn't aware these were secrets. I was taught things in several different manners. One of the ways I was taught things, the things I was taught were proprietary. They were just passed to me because I had a relationship. They were not to be passed on. Uh, they could only be passed on to others who had entered into that same relationship. And I have abided by that. I have done my best not to, to just will-nilly give that out. I have learned by talking to people, and they swore no oath to me. They asked no bond from me. They were happy to share, and I'm happy to share back. Okay? But when this – the secrets, the secrets. What do you mean secret? We're not talking about a proprietary recipe. A proprietary recipe would be different. If you came up with a recipe for an oil, and your, the name of your oil was Kick-Ass Conjure Oil. I don't know why that's what you named it. I don't know what it's for, but that's what you named it, Kick-Ass Conjure Oil. And you're the maker of Kick-Ass Conjure Oil. You're the person who invented Kick-Ass Conjure Oil. And it works, man. I mean, it's great. It sells like hotcakes. And you told me 
because we were friends or something, the ingredients of kick-ass conjure oil, and then I told everybody that would be wrong. That would be shady. That would be some bullshit right there because that's your formula that you came up with. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I have taught people and told people stuff that's standard-ass shit. You know, you tie this together, put it on the mattress. You do this with this and bury it in the backyard. You keep a little sugar, and you do this with the th- – you put this above the door. You know, always – never put the broom. Don't sweep anybody's feet when – you know, I mean standard-ass stuff. And people have said to me, you're giving out all the secrets. <clears throat> think what that means. Stop for a goddamn minute and think what that means. That means it's a secret. It's to be held. It is to be kept covered up, obscured in some intellectual social oubliette someplace, away from the eyes of the common man, away from the people, because it makes money. Otherwise, there'd be no problem. Because, again, they didn't say you're giving matches to children, you're breaking the will of the spirits, you're breaking the will of God. Okay, you're going against this, you're going against the oath you take. No, it's common knowledge, it's common knowledge, and I'm giving it up. I've done the terrible thing. Why? Because they make money off of passing on that common knowledge. I want you to imagine that anything else in the world was held by this same bound. I want you to imagine for a second that there's a guy. He works as an air conditioning repair guy. Okay? He comes out and fixes your air compressor. (coughs) And while he's fixing your air compressor, he says to you, you know, you need to clean the leaves and you have this cottonwood tree here. And this cottonwood tree makes these really big pollen and, you know, detritus that comes from the tree and it stops up all these this vent here and so that makes your compressor overheat and that's the problem we had today your compressor overheated this piece burnt out and i had to replace the piece this is how much my time this is how much labor this is how much the piece is for today's thing if you'll come out here you know once every couple of weeks three weeks whatever particularly during the spring and take a high pressure hose and uh clean that grill off so the air can flow through it You won't have this problem again. And his boss hears it and says, you just gave away the secret. In other words, we're supposed to let the guy burn his fucking air compressor out so that we have to keep coming out and doing it. I am not talking, again, about the property of others. I am not, not, not talking about that. It's Coca-Cola's right to keep the formula for Coca-Cola secret. And it's Coca-Cola's right to sue the shit out of anybody that steals their goddamn secret. Formula. It's theirs. They're the manufacturer. I'm not talking about some sort of where we just give out everything. Again, this is not the people's mojo bag. I'm talking about don't tell somebody something unless you made a buck off them because then you'll never make a buck off them again. That means that now, not only is the money isolated from the community, the information is isolated from the community, the cost prohibitiveness 
of the worker has isolated them from the community. And pretty soon, all the work gets really weird and strange because there are no, there are, there's nobody else to deal with this. There's nobody else to be brought back in. Everybody's just off, and money becomes the primary thing. Again and again and again, I am not saying that you shouldn't make money. I'm not saying you shouldn't have rights to your formulas, copyrights to your written materials. I'm saying that when this becomes a closed room, an impregnable bastion, that exists so that only those who possess it, who got it from someplace else, are there to make money, and that's the end goal, then that's fucking hell. That's what I'm saying. Don't twist this around. Don't get this wrong. This isn't me championing some sort of thing about, as Troll Tal had just mentioned, information wants to be free. This is not me saying that. This is me saying that the conjure doctor, the root worker, the hoodooist, started as, works best as, a person within the context of their community and the culture. And when they are separated from that completely and totally and wholly, when they become cost prohibitive from the regular person, the regular person, okay, getting access, then the whole thing crumbles. It becomes a closed, darkened room. No windows, no door, no air, no nothing. And it starts to eat itself and starts to become weird and strange. And all this shit comes in that doesn't belong there because there's nobody to say it doesn't belong there. And if it'll make a buck, then it makes a buck. Don't be mistaken. I'm not trying to hold myself up here. I'm not trying to say, well, I'm so great and everybody else sucks. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But I will say this. I will say this. Those books that I've written, those books, you know how much my, my, my publisher, you know how much the, the people that publish those books, you know how much they charge for them? Nine bucks. Nine freaking bucks. Nine bucks. Now, some people don't even have nine bucks. I dig that. I get that. But you cannot tell me that nine bucks is cost prohibitive. You can't tell me that nine bucks is actually cheaper than a whole fucking shit ton of other books. Just pointed out there's seven dollars on Amazon. Okay? Yeah, but then there's shipping and handling, right? So maybe it still comes out to be about nine. And again, that's not me trying to say, I'm so fucking wonderful. It's me trying to use a, a, an example. It's me trying to say, look, this Hoodoo is worthless if it's not being done for the people. Who is it being done for? We're not a religion. We're not priests. We're not priestesses. We're hoodooists. We, we, we are working for people. And when we can't work for people, or people can't afford us, <clears throat> people can't contact us, people can't get a, anything, then the whole system's gone tits up. What does it matter anymore? And we have a lot of people who engage in a way of thinking about limitation. There's not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough clients. There's not enough customers. I have to claw and scrape and bite and tooth every person that comes near me 
I got to be top dog. Again, not out of some sense of excellence or I want to be the best I can be or out of a spirit of accomplishment, out of a spirit of accumulation about money. So that's what I had to say on this. I hope it didn't get twisted up. I hope you didn't confuse what I was saying. I hope you heard me. Because in the day, at the end of the day, we all do need it. We've all got to have a little something of our own. We've got to have air. We've got to have water, food, hopefully love. It's nice to have shelter over your damn head. It's nice to have clothes on your back. At the end of the day, we do have needs. And the root worker and the conjure doctor and the hoodooist have those same needs. And this is not something else. We do have that transfer. We do have that back and forth. We all have needs. We've all got to have our own. And God bless the child that has his own. But don't take too much 
mama may have And papa may have But God bless the child that's got his own That's got his own Broadcasting around the globe. 
bringing news, information, education, and entertainment to all. It's the LMC Radio Network in the Vanguard. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, hosted by Catherine Ironwood and Kanjaman Ali, Sundays 3 to 4.30. Candela's Corner, starring Candela Cambisa, Mondays 5 to 7. The Crystal Silence League Hour, hosted by John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6. In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7. On Sacred Ground with Kai Armand, Wednesdays 5 to 7. The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays 6 to 7.30. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays 5 to 7. All time specific, at 3 hours for Eastern. Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. And online at luckymojo.com. Should be there. 
because after you're there, you can go inside the Lucky Mojo Curio Company and walk through the aisles and see thousands upon thousands of items from all over the world. Where? At 6632 Cavi Road, Forestville, California, or online at www.luckymojo.com. Tell them Count Goulash sent you. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Thank you, Count Goulash, for the... I kind of drift off when he does that around and around and around and around thing. Anyway, up next, a little segment of the show we like to call... Divination and You. That's right, Divination and You, this week. We're going to be talking about bone reading with all sorts of bones. Astragula, possum bones, chicken bones, you name it, everything, everything, you name it, even black cat bones. Time used to be 
Yes, that was indeed Black Cat Bone by Sam John Lightning Hopkins. Oh, yeah, you know it so. That's correct. That is correct. That is correct. Another cookie goes to Cargo Hook. Tonight on Divination and You, we're going to be talking about throwing the bones, bone throwing and bone reading. Before I go any further, I want to say this. If you are interested, really interested in reading bones, then you need to get yourself two books. For sure. There are others, but these are two that I can personally recommend. They are Throwing the Bones by Catherine Ironwood and Bones, Shell, and Curios. Bones, Shells, and Curios by Michelle Jackson. These are two books you absolutely should have in your library to be able to at least have an understanding and a start of these, this, this system of divination. Now, throwing of bones is a huge and complex category of topics, meaning it comes from many different cultures, and there are a lot of different forms of this that include bones, shells, nuts, uh, dice, dominoes, cut cowrie shells. This comes from... Uh, Southern Africa, this comes from Asia, the Mongolians, this comes from many different places. But what I'm going to talk about tonight is, again, how this primarily intersects hoodoo and how it did in the old days. And I'm going to talk about the throwing of bones, bone divination. So in this, bones of various sorts are generally tossed out. They're tossed out of a container, a bowl, a bag, the hands of the reader, into a space, whether it be a mat, an animal hide, or, as you will often see in hoodoo and in the past in the south, into a circle drawn in the dirt. Okay, And the resulting patterns, how these bones fall, is then interpreted. The number and sort or kinds of bones employed, as well as other small objects such as pebbles, shells, crystals, nuts, varies a good deal from one culture to another. As a hoodoo practice, casting or throwing the bones has a deep traditional root in African culture, especially as developed among the Sagomas, or divining healers of the Zulu, tradition in southern Africa. Trained as herbalists, spirit mediums, and diviners, they fulfill an important role in their culture, equivalent to that of a root doctor in the United States or an obeya practitioner in Jamaica. So, the mingling of this African tradition with Native American and European forms of divination produced a lot of variations all right. Traditional items used in bone readings by root doctors and hoodooists and conjure doctors in the South and spirit-led fortune tellers who employed these methods of divination has brought about the inclusion of bones, stones, coins, stalks, or shells. Additionally, some who follow this style of divining will use natural curios to help the reeling, including uh, zoological curios, 
which might include uh, gator paws, uh, etc. And then also within this is the form of bone reading that involves the uh, opening up and reading of owl pellets. You don't see that very much anymore. Uh, there are a few people, myself included, who do read owl pellets. A little strange, but I got a jar of owl pellets in the other room. Now, the thing that you should know about this is that there is really no single system of bone reading used by all African-American practitioners or old-time readers, etc. But the older folks did and will read a set of chicken bones or possum bones and do so primarily on the ground rather than on a tabletop, after the manner still practiced by some readers in Africa to this day. Other people, again, will mix in things like pebbles or shells or even dice with their bones, and they might read on a mat or animal hide or even on the tabletop. But no matter what they're using, natural or man-made, no matter how many of these are included, the practice is still called throwing the bones. Now, American conjure doctors and hoodoo bone readers consider it traditional to keep their bones in a basket, bowl, or bag on or near their altar when not in use and to cast them out onto the mat or the hide or onto the dirt to read them. Each bone can have a meaning and the patterns among the bones may be significant as well. So to give you an example, nine chicken bones are used in one form of bone reading. These are the bones that are to be cast, or these nine chicken bones. And each individual bone has a meaning. The wing bone might signify travel, the neck bone, poverty, the wishbone, good fortune. In another tradition, you'll have just possum bones. And every one of those possum bones will, again, have an individual meaning, and then you have larger sets where people are adding in things. You will even find bone readers who place into their bone sets found objects that they may not be natural objects. They might be coins, as an example. It might be a bit of glass or natural glass produced by lightning. They might be bits of minerals like pyrite, etc. And they have added this into their reading. If you would like to have a better understanding of the overall the widest approach to this and where it comes from and what cultures it comes out of, then again, I really do suggest to you that you get yourself a copy of Throwing the Bones by Catherine Ironwood. If you're interested in doing it yourself and you would like to put together a set of bones to read that include not just bones, but many other objects, nuts, shells, uh, a piece of a doll, dice, coins, etc. And that is what interests you. I would, again, highly suggest that you look at Bones, Shells, and Curios by Michelle Jackson, and you will find that it is a interesting and fascinating and many times a deeply personal, deeply personal form of reading, meaning it is unlikely that you will find two bone readers 
who are using the exact same kind of bone set and have the exact same kind of meaning. This kind of divination is amazingly complex, deeply personal, and again has historic roots in many different cultures. This is one of those things that, to me, is kind of a part of the condition of being H. sapiens sapiens. We like to put things together into something and then throw them down and read the shape that they make. And it has its roots are so deep, I should say, that it leads into other forms. When you see people reading dominoes, that is a form of bone reading, when you get right down to a form of sortilege. When you talk about casting dice and reading dice, casting of lots and reading of lots, all of these fall into this form of divination as well. And because of that, <clears throat> interestingly enough, this, the reading of playing cards, because the reading of playing cards can also be a form of sortilege. You're taking all these items, they have different meanings, you're randomizing them, you're throwing them down, and you're interpreting their meaning. It's a little different because we're not always interpreting their positions, but we are sometimes interpreting their positions relative to each other. So if you would like to know more about bone readings, I encourage you to get those two books and maybe spend a little bit of time this week looking up on it. I think you'll find it a fascinating topic. Uh, I would like to thank uh, Miss Catherine Ironwood, Michelle Jackson, and the good folks at readersandrootworkers.org, who are a part of AIR, for help with information in this segment this week. Up next, we're going to, hopefully, we're almost out of time, uh, we're going to be talking about Lovage. You know, it's also called Bohog. Now is large and round. Come to see me, mama, when your love come down. If you see my pig meat, mama, girl, I didn't hurry home. Say some low down for hog, mama. Yeah, straight my sappy from home. Yes, the reason why I like pig meat, you know it's nice and sweet. My girl, she got something so it's hard to beat. If you see my pig meat, mom, girl, I just hurry home. There's some low-down for hog, mama. Yeah, straight my side from home. Yeah, she's large in the body. She's neat in the way. My girl, she got something I knew you would like to taste. If you see my pig meat, mom, tell her I did hurry home. Cause I'm low down for hog, mama. Yeah, straight my side pig from home. I played a long time now. 
No knock at my door. I got me a pig meat woman. Don't need Sabbath no more. If you see my pig meat mama, tell her I deserve you home. Say some low down for her mama. Yes, eat my Sabbath mama. Oh, yes, that was Blind Boy Fuller from Stealing Bohog back in 1937. That's right, Blind Boy Fuller with Stealing Bohog. Because tonight in the kitchen, we're going to be talking about Lovage. Lovage, I, by the way, I happen to think Lovage is a very, very beautiful, beautiful root and uh, one I enjoy working with. Lovage is also known as Bohog root and is widely reputed to aid romantic conditions by strengthening sexual power and enhancing love luck. And this can be done a number of ways, and I'm just going to give you a few. To encourage someone to love you more, for nine days, rise early, boil lovage root in water to make a tea, hand bathe your genitals and face in this before dawn, and carry the leftover water to the crossroads. Call the name of the one you love and throw your used water towards the sunrise. So that's one way. Another way this can be done is a mojo to attract a new lover. To draw a new lover or increase passion in someone special, carry a red flannel bag in which you have placed three slices of lovage, three slices of bohog root, some Samson snake root, and a whole John the Conqueror root if you are male, or a Queen Elizabeth root if you are female. Burn a red seven-day candle dressed with attraction oil and crumbled lovage root to help draw in a new lover. So you can do both of those. This is really, I've got to tell you, I, this is a root that just too many folks don't talk about these days, but that's a kind of backward sentence, but it, it's still true. You just don't hear enough about lovage and you don't see enough talk about it and uh, bohog root. And it is a very beautiful root. I enjoy working with it and have seen uh, great results from it. And I hope that you'll spend a little time this week uh, thinking about lovage, looking at lovage, maybe get yourself some, maybe work with some. Our In the Kitchen section comes to us each and every week, not only from our own knowledge, but also from Hoodoo Herb and Root Magic and Materia Magica of African-American Conjure by Miss Catherine Ironwood. And we thank her so much for its inclusion in the show each and every week. By the way, there's another book. If you don't have that book, you should probably get that book as well. Well... We are at the end of our show. It has been a wonderful one. Sorry I went on so long in the pontification. I'll I'll pull them back. I'll pull them back. But, boy, that was a topic that really gets under my skin. And I am glad that you took the time to listen to my vague verbal wanderings. I have no idea why they keep giving me a live mic. If you haven't made plans to go out to the Hoodoo Heritage Festival, do so. Time's running out. Getting close, kids. May 14th and 15th. I will be in California from the 11th 
to the 16th. So I'll see you there. And until then, I guess this is the end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, It is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, But it is perhaps the end of the beginning.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.